Another Live at Five Sports with Jim Suhan of the Star Tribune and Talk North podcast. It's brought to you Monday through Friday by Prairie's Edge Casino Resort. Todd Bergeth will be back from vacation uh, next week, Jim. So let's start out with the Vikings. A uh, lot of speculation prior to last night's draft. Uh, they end up staying at number 23, and they select a wide receiver who I don't think a lot of people maybe anticipated. No, I think it's a bit of a surprise. I think uh, the intelligence we have is that they were very interested in Anthony Richardson if he fell far enough that they could afford to trade up for him. That didn't happen. The Colts take him at number four. They were also interested in the defensive lineman who went to the uh, Bucks. I think with the 19th, 20th pick, 19th pick, Cansey. Uh, I think if he had slid down to 23, they would have been interested in him. But there is also a lot of uh, information out there that the Vikings were always interested in Jordan Addison as one of the likely picks at 23 if he got that far. They could have taken uh, Banks, the cornerback who uh, went to the Giants, the next pick if they had wanted to go defense. They just think that Addison is a higher-end player than Banks. Uh, they're comfortable adding to their offense, getting a true three-receiver set with a good tight end, and letting Brian Flores kind of figure out how to piece together the defense as opposed to just drafting a cornerback at a position of need. Uh, they really think that Addison's going to fit what they do really well. Now your four primary receivers are Jefferson, Addison, uh, K.J. Osborne, and T.J. Hawkinson. And that's really good, and that also is kind of the formula that Sean McVay used to win the Super Bowl when Kevin O'Connell was his offensive coordinator. Uh, Three really dynamic, one great receiver, two dynamic receivers who can uh, take advantage of the attention paid to the number one receiver, and frankly, Hawkinson's better than any of the pass-catching tight ends the Rams had back then. Absolutely. Uh, Now today, they don't pick at all in the second round unless they make some kind of a move. Uh, So really, it's not that interesting for Viking fans uh, to watch today either, really. No, uh, and it starts an hour earlier. It'll move faster, but the Vikings don't have a pick until the third round. I asked Quezzy last night if if he was comfortable with just four more picks the rest of the draft, and he said, hey, We just have to be efficient. Uh, You know, listen, nothing anybody says this time of the year can be taken as full, unbridled truth. Uh, Maybe they'll make five trades tonight to try to get more picks. But, you know, at least publicly saying that they're fine just taking five good players and moving forward. Well, let's switch gears to the Wild. It's do or die for them tonight. Uh, I was a little disappointed, you know, them getting uh, shut out again this last game. What can they do to kind of get the offense going, do you think? Is there one or two things they can really focus on tonight? Play better. I mean, they just need to play better. They need to uh, possess the puck more. They need to get more pucks to the front of the net. They need Kaprizov and Boldy to make plays. Uh, ever since Boldy's, ever since Kaprizov started really getting cheap-shotted in the first, uh, first uh, you know, after the first period of that first game, he hasn't done anything. My guess is he's probably banged up. My guess is also that uh, they're just not letting him get to places of the ice that he usually gets to in the regular season. So he's going to have to find a way to break through in some way, whether it's scoring, scoring goals or creating goals for teammates. They're going to have to get some ugly goals. They're going to have to possess the puck better. And you know what? They're going to have to stop flying around and taking stupid penalties. Yeah, that seems to be the number one thing for even the non-hockey aficionado can can notice. You know, when you're playing shorthanded, especially with a team like Dallas, uh, well, you are playing with fire. Yeah, you know, being shorthanded doesn't always kill you, but Dallas has been very good on the power play, and uh, they're a really good face-off team, which also benefits them on the power play. This is not the right team to play shorthanded against. 
You know, it sounded like uh, Tim Conley kind of uh, embraced a lot of the things you talked about after the, the Timberwolves season, not blowing the team up, but rather just trying to tweak it a little bit for next year. Well, I try to provide a service to the local team so they don't have to spend a lot of time in meetings. They can just read my column and do what I say, and then and, and they can fire half their staff. They don't really need all those people. Uh, I, uh, I really, you know, every, listen, the nature of the sports fan is to be impatient. They want what you want, and you want it now. I get it. But you don't blow up the franchise to trade for somebody, and then after one year where he didn't even have healthy people around him, just say, okay, that's it, let's blow it up again. You can't blow things up every year. If they get rid of Gobert now, they're blowing it up and starting all over again. Um, I really want to see what happens if Towns is healthy next year. Uh, I think this can still work. I also think Finch has a much better handle going into this offseason what uh, to work on, how to construct an offense and a defense around these guys. This year was a lot of trial and error. Now you've gone through the trial and error. Now Towns is healthy. Townsend, Gobert, and Ant played really well together the last three games of that series against the number one seed. Uh, Connolly fits them. Jaden McDaniels being healthy would be a big deal. If they can get Nas Reed back, they have a tremendous nine, ten-man rotation. You know, let's see what happens if they actually are healthy enough to have these guys play together. You know, how important is it to, you know, have the number one guy, you know, you keep hearing about this is so-and-so's team. Uh, you know, we kind of looked at it as it was Carl Anthony Towns, you know, but has that uh, you know, guard kind of changed? Is it is it really kind of? Do you think uh, uh, the right now you're looking at it? It's it's uh, Edwards that really is the lead dog. Yes, it is. And I, listen, Carlton Towns is remarkably unpopular with his fan base. I think people should appreciate that. Here's a, a tremendous scorer. He's been an All Star. Uh, he's been a Rookie of the Year, and he's actually willing to embrace Gobert coming in and take away some of his role. He's willing to let Anthony Edwards be the lead player, and he doesn't complain about it. Uh, I think that – I think at this point of his career, Towns wants to win. And to win, you do need somebody like Edwards to be – it's much easier to be led by a wing, somebody who can get his own shot when he wants it, uh, can collapse defenses by himself, than it is to have a big player be your, your number one player. And, and Edwards is that guy. Edwards is that good. And I think the fact this has a chance, I think one of the reasons this has a chance to work in a big way with this group is that Edwards is a good enough player to be your number one player, and Towns is a good enough guy to let Edwards be the number one player. You know, in this last game, it seemed like Towns was back to kind of taking it hard to the basket from, uh, you know, the top of the key and so forth. Uh, You know, not necessarily what you'd normally think of as a four. You know, that, that that seems to be his strength, though, is when he takes it to the basket and kind of, uh, you know, whether he hooks arms with the defender or whatever and can, can draw some fouls. Well, I think his, his strength is that if you don't cover him at the three-point line, he's a great three-point shooter. And if you do rush out to the three-point line and close out, he can beat you off the dribble and take it in the lane and make something good happen, whether it's pass, score, draw a foul. So... You know, I, I thought early in this series he was trying too hard. He was, for some reason, got and said he had to drive through five people. He was getting charging fouls. He was turning the ball over. Once he kind of got by that and just went to playing more naturally, he played really well the last three games. Uh, and it's in there. You know, he's not a perfect player, but it's in there. He's a he's a tremendous scorer. If you got rid of him, you'd immediately be looking for somebody just like him. So I just think you, you need to play this out and see what happens next year. And listen, if it doesn't work, 
a second year when these people are all fully acclimated and they've been in the same system for two years. Then you can say, okay, that didn't work, move on. But it would be silly to do it now. The Twins, uh, you know, we've been talking all year about their depth at starting pitching, and it sounds like that's a good thing uh, with uh, the recent developments. Yeah, Maeda obviously got hurt. Uh, Ober's going to replace him in the rotation today. Um, and then uh, my, uh, Molly, who has had shoulder fatigue and shoulder problems the last couple of years, comes out with something bothering him in the elbow area. Now, he said it's no big deal, and Baldelli said it's no big deal. It's always a big deal when a pitcher has elbow or shoulder soreness. So we'll wait and see what happens. The good thing is they like Ober, they like Varland. The problem is if you go to Ober and Varland and somebody else gets hurt, now you're starting to dip into people who probably aren't starters for a contender. But right now, the Twins are four games over 500. Uh, they are playing really well. They're getting healthier. They're starting to score runs. Uh, they, sw- they took the season series from the Yankees. Now they're going to start beating up on teams like Kansas City. They're in a great position here if they have re- reasonable health. Well, and uh, you can never have too much pitching, as the old adage is, and that might just uh, you know, be their, their uh, lifeblood this year if these injuries keep uh, occurring. And, uh, you know, it is, like you said, it's great to see some of the offense uh, come to life, and uh, they can beat you in a variety of ways uh, right now with that lineup they have uh, when guys are clicking. Gallo already has seven home runs. Uh, it's really interesting how many moves they made that we didn't think a whole lot of when they made them that are already paying off. Uh, the Pablo Lopez trade, I thought it was a good trade, but he's been even better than expected. Gallo has been better than expected. Michael Taylor has played a bigger role than expected. Solano has played a bigger role than expected. Kyle Farmer, if he were healthy, would be playing a lot and probably contributing a lot. This is, this is the deepest Twins team I have ever been around. Um, now, I covered teams that had the 2006 team had Santana and Nathan and Hunter and Maurer, Morneau, Castillo, Shannon Stewart. Uh, you know, that was a great team. But this team has more pitching depth than that team had. That team was relying on Booth Bonser. Booth Bonser wouldn't be in this rotation. So if they can keep this rotation relatively healthy, keep their lineup relatively healthy, I just think the, a good season is just sitting there waiting for them. Jim, thank you so much. Have a great weekend, and uh, we really enjoyed our visits here of late. Enjoyed it, Bill. Thank you.